0: What's up everyone, welcome to the Pinnacle Performance Podcast. My name is Connor Harris. Today I have a really cool guest that I'm very excited uh, that's coming on this podcast. His name is James Smith. He is the owner of the U of Strength and he does some really cool stuff that I've been following for a long time and I'm excited to get his perspective and hear what he has to say about some things, especially as they relate to perceptual cognitive work in athletics, in the weight room, on the field, et cetera. So James, thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Uh, Connor, thanks, man. This is a great opportunity. Uh, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So just give us a quick background on you, like where you come from and how you got into the position you are today.
1: Yeah, so I'll try to keep it as short, short as possible. Um, first and foremost, I, I am a proud husband and father. Uh, so that's, that, that's my number one priority. Um, but I also am obviously a small business owner and a sport preparation coach. A uh, Little background. Um, I was a collegiate athlete. Um, I played at a small, uh, played basketball at a small school, um, about north, uh, 30 minutes north of Boston, Merrimack College. Um, from there, I had the opportunity to work under um, uh, at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. Did some stuff at their second location, North and in, uh, North Andover, Mass. And then from there, uh, had the opportunity to go down to the University of Connecticut um, to work. Uh, under Chris West, who has been a, a, a large, um, a big mentor and has shaped a lot of my um, ideas, methodologies, and just how I handle everything. He's played a huge role in this. Um, and we, under uh, at UConn, uh, worked with men's basketball, men's soccer, and women's soccer. Um, and then from there, came back up to Massachusetts, um, managed and ran a youth hockey organization, But it was not a small task. This was eight to 10. Eventually, it turned into 12 teams of 20 to 25 kids per team in a 500 square foot facility, a closet space. Um, And then that basically turned in, went on to my own, turned into the U of Strength. And so today, um, we operate um, in Tingsboro, Massachusetts. Um, we are in a large sports center. So a lot of our, 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 content, you will see, we have access to turf fields, indoor, outdoor turf fields, basketball courts. We have a 2000 square foot weight room. So it's a really unique setup. Um, and we work at the U of strength. We work with, you know, athletes, my daughter's age, three years old to, to the professional level and anywhere in between that. Um, so that's where, that's what, um, what I'm doing these days.
0: Very cool. And the, I really relate to what you said about the uh, small training space. I mm-hmm. think uh, early on, I think a lot of young coaches are exposed to very small training spaces. But at the same time, it's a blessing in disguise. Because if you can work with 20 athletes in a room like that, boy, anything more than that just feels like a total blessing. Oh, and wow. uh, I totally know what you mean by that. I'm just curious, how did you manage that small space? What were your strategies?
1: Uh, so I, you, I got really friendly with everyone. So it was in an ice rink. Um, I got very friendly with the owners of the ice rink with all the other coaches, the maintenance staff, and I used every square inch of that building. So we weren't just in the 500 square foot. We would use stairs. We would use hell sometimes in the summertime when the ice, they would take some of the ice out. We would go in the back where there was no ice in the rink and we'd do stuff out there. We'd use the parking lot anything I could find. I think that's what really helped me uh, kind of have this kind of creative mindset or outside the box mentality. It's just figuring out problem solving, you know, when, like you said, you got 20 athletes, especially hockey athletes, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with the hockey world, but they are a very unique bunch of individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to be very creative and, you know, on the spot problem solver. Uh, so yeah, I got creative men and try to, you know, use the space as efficiently and as effectively as possible. Yeah. So that's kind of how we, how we handle things there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. That's so fundamental to our growth as a coach. Like it's, like I said, I think it's a positive thing looking back on those experiences and, oh, whatever. yeah and yeah, like what you said about creativity, that's, that's so important. And whenever I see you post anything on social media, I'm always just blown away. I always go, wow, that's something I've never thought about before, but that makes a lot of sense. And a lot of, it seems like what a lot of what you're about is problem solving and having athletes, you know, it's, it's like that perceptual cognitive aspect of things. So in terms of just when you're, programming exercise, when you're coming up with these really cool um, sort of problem-solving experiments or problem-solving situations you're putting your athletes in, what is your thought process behind designing an environment like that?
1: Yeah, so basically, I mean, we all go through this kind of uh, evolution of a coach, and I like to think of it as looking through a lens. So we all start off when we're younger, you know, it's kind of that bodybuilding lens, and then we shift to whether it's the powerlifting or the Olympic weightlifting lens. And then, you know, if you're smart enough, you'll kind of get into the track and field and you'll start to, you know, implement and, and integrate some speed, some plyometric type stuff. And so uh, my next stage is uh, I like to look through a skill acquisition lens. Mm-hmm. And so basically every athlete I work with, and I don't care if it's my daughter that's three years old or it's a veteran in the NBA, is that every rep is a learning opportunity. Every experience is a learning opportunity. And once I had that, once I figured that out, and then obviously really dived down and understood the theories of ecological dynamics, dynamical systems, theories, constraint led approach, nonlinear pedagogy, all that type of stuff. It's just a lot of things started to click. Um, and we just, we've seen a ton of success of kind of going from a traditional model to a, you know, non-traditional Uh, or a skilled centered model in building everything around motor learning um, and development.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those, those things are so important. That's something I've been very passionate about since, you know, I really began my career. I was fortunate enough to have someone hand me the book of nonlinear pedagogy. Am I saying that right? Pedagogy? Pedagogy. Pedagogy. Yeah. I never knew how to say that, but uh, just reading that book opened my eyes to, oh, there's such a big neurological component to what's going on. It's not just, you know, meat and potatoes in the weight room or on the field. There's so much more to it that really like that stuff is so applicable to like athletics, arguably more so than a lot of the traditional stuff we do in the weight room. That that doesn't mean they're mutually exclusive, but ultimately like that stuff is so important and oftentimes overlooked. But I mean, for me, speaking of my experience, when I read those books and I still read these books, sometimes I'll go, this is a lot like this is a lot of information uh and i understand how this would be very applicable to like field-based work speed training multi-directional speed things like that but when it comes to like the actual weight weight room itself sometimes i find myself lost and i'm like well i don't know how to implement this in like a squad or i don't know how to implement this to be effective in terms of you know implementing constraints that really are going to have a positive effect on an athlete in the weight room so um that's something i think that you're really good at so uh, for the person that doesn't know a ton about this stuff what is a good approach or a basic um a basic idea of how you begin to walk someone through like a weight room in terms of like constraints, in terms of skill acquisition, things like that.
1: Yeah. So, so again, I'll go back to saying every rep, every experience is a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and when I say all this stuff, it's this, and, and like, you know, and hopefully your listeners know nothing is black and white. You know, we operate in the gray area. And so when I say this is that we, we follow more of an implicit learning um uh, We want to create some implicit learning experiences. That does not mean that we don't follow explicit and we don't do, you know, different feedback and coaching cues and stuff like that. But the more we can set up uh, uh, an environment or a task or an activity, and that task, that design of that task, activity, environment, does majority of the coaching. All right, I just, in my opinion, I've had so much more success than just barking out cues to the athlete, whether that's during the rep, whether that's after the rep, whether that's after the session. Is that if I can strategically put a box in a specific spot, if I can strategically, you know, put their foot against a wall, or if I can strategically have, we're starting to do things where we manipulate the foot angle with these different wedges, you know, if I can put them into these different positions without them even knowing it. Um, and they're kind of just learning by doing and feeling, we just had, we've had a ton of success because a lot of people, like, like you said, is that you can take a lot of these things on the field or court work, but then they get lost in the weight room. And in my opinion, they, you they got to be complementary to each other and it can't be, we can't operate in a vacuum. We cannot operate in isolation. It has to be this kind of holistic or universal approach to everything. Um, and yeah, and so it's obviously, it, 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 it's up to the coach, you can, and obviously up to the athlete too, depending on their experience level, um, because don't think, like a lot of the, some of these, a lot of the content in the post, you know, these are athletes, and I try to be as clear and as transparent as possible, but sometimes it gets lost, obviously, in the social media world, you know, but some of these posts, some of these kind of unorthodox ideas are with athletes, they're 19, 20 years old, but they started with me when they were 12. And they've been with me for six, seven, eight years. And they kind of seen me go through this evolution as a coach. And now well, I, I like to consider myself a teacher or a learning designer. Um, and so it doesn't have to be crazy complicated. And some of the stuff, yeah, it's like, oh, wow. But if you understand the basics and you understand the principles and the theories behind it, it does make a lot of sense. And, it, and it, the, stuff we're, the stuff we are doing and these ideas we're applying – It's just amazing to see. And obviously, I don't have a ton of research backing it, but in my opinion, if I see results in front of my eyes and I see that my athletes, parents, sport coaches are coming back to me saying, you know, he or she is doing this, he or she is bouncing back from, you know, this type of injury or he or she is, that's all I care about. I want to see, I'm a resultist. I want to see results. I want to see, you know, positive improvements. And again, it's not, you know, it's not linear, it's nonlinear. Mm-hmm. Um, but taking kind of this these all these different ideas we've been talking about and that I, I love to share has been so um uh, impactful, you know, in, in the develop, development of the uh you know of our, of our athletes.
0: So. Yeah, the the whole thing behind implicit and explicit is so fundamental to athletics because the more implicit you can make a process and really like for those that don't know what implicit is it's basically like a subconscious process to make it to make it simple whereas explicit is like a conscious you're thinking through it and if you're if you're always explicit with things that should be fundamental, then you're taking up um, basically you're taking up energy through your mind, through thinking about things that should come naturally. So like if you're thinking about your free throw form, when you're going to shoot a free throw, you're like, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're probably more likely to choke on that free throw. Whereas Uh if it's an implicit then you're more likely to just go through your routine and um, go about making that free throw or if you're on the court then you want implicit things to happen decision making perhaps to be more implicit because you're used to training it as you are but if you're conscious if you're always consciously thinking about these things then you have taken up basically bandwidth within your brain to be you know spent on things that shouldn't for lack of a better term, whereas you could then take that energy and bandwidth to, you know, focusing on the game instead of your form, instead of, you know, a very basic decision. So with that being said, let's say you're working with, you know, a basketball player and you want to train implicit processes. What are some things that you would consider need to be more implicit rather than explicit? If that question
1: yeah. makes sense, and so so if this is so obviously if this is a to give context, if this is a brand new athlete, if this is someone that has never trained under you know under, under our program, under our style you know of training, it, it's going to be a balancing act, and it's and and I hate to say it depends, but it's the truth, and it's it's something where and that's where I I have a ton of passion, I take a lot of pride in it's the art of coaching and it's all you know and I know some people and some coaches hate hearing you know it's intuition based but that's the truth and that's something that I really try to whether you know it's you know my assistant strength coaches any interns I really try to shape kind of these these uh, these experiences in the sense of of it it's just because you read it in a textbook does not mean that it's going to be, able, that it's going to be able to be applied in the real world. Mm-hmm. So, but going back to that, going back to, you know, a, a novice basketball athlete, um, I basically like to think of it, anything that is more like, like you, like we talked about more kind of, uh, the turf, the court type movement movement higher velocity type actions. Um, right from the beginning, I'm, that's all implicit. I am watching them move. I'm seeing, you know, strengths, weaknesses, uh, compensations, you know, and I'm putting, you know, these different constraints on them, but everything is implicit in that sense. But if we do get into the weight room, there's going to be a little bit more instructions. There's going to be a little bit more corrections. But what I'm trying to do, especially early on, especially with the basketball athlete, a lot of these basketball athletes, and that's the sport that I play, you know, a lot, and it is getting better, but a lot of, especially the higher level basketball, they they love the field, the court work. They love that mm-hmm. stuff. And when you get in the weight room, it's, it, you know, because they think they have a, they have a, 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 um, a already um, uh, a predetermined mindset of, okay, I need to train like this, or I need to do this, um, where we try to make connections in which and we try to explain to them very, very simply how this, whatever we're doing in the weight room, how it's going to complement what they're going to do on the court. But during that process in the weight room, it's going to be more explicit in nature, um, but my goal eventually though, is everything's implicit and it's, it's, we're giving them the keys to the car. They're, we're trying to make them their own coach. And a lot of people say that I just don't see a lot of, uh, a lot of programs, a lot of coaches actually doing it. Um, so I'm not sure if that really answers it because it's obviously it's a, it depends type scenario, but we will be, uh, because the, the, the thing that fascinates me, especially when you get any type of athlete, any type of person that is engaging in some type of sporting activity, um, when, as a coach, you know, when we first get them, when we first, we have the opportunity to work with whoever it may be, um, we want to throw the coach, we want to throw the kitchen sink at them with coaching mm-hmm. cues, with methodologies, with exercise, with all this stuff. And it's, with me, I just like to step back. And the more I can make connections and build a relationship. And that's something that I'm really, really big on. And that's something that I with, with with the staff that I have is everything is relationships. And the more you understand it, the more you understand that in and, and, and truly appreciate that the X's and O's will come and they are important, the training parameters, the methods, the exercise selection, et cetera but you need to get the, you need to build a relationship with these kids. You need, these athletes need to trust you. They need to understand, you know, uh, they need to understand um, the importance of why they are there Um, because being in a private sector, it's just, it's very unique in the sense that, you know, we get, we get a lot of fantastic athletes. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, we will get athletes that mom and dad want them there a little bit more than they want to. And it's, I, don't, I don't push those athletes away. I use that as an opportunity to educate and to teach them and to really find what they what, what are they really trying to get at, you know, come to the U.S. strength or partaking in a program like this. Um, I know I kind of went a couple of different directions oh, there. That um, was great.
0: I hear but, you, man. I hear you. Yeah. And I don't think your answer was unfair at all. I think like it really does depend. And like we always say it's a cliche at this point. Context is king, but it really is when it comes to so many of these things, especially when it comes to like this perceptual cognitive stuff. Something I, you said that I really connected with was the the idea of like sharing the intention as a coach to the athlete. Because too many times looking back early on, I realized that I would give a program I would give a very general explanation and I would say, okay, this is what we're doing today. Uh, This is kind of why we're doing it. But I would never go into detail because I never thought the kids cared, but I think they do more than more than I realized. And that is, um, if you explain how this weight room stuff is going to improve their performance, then that's going to probably improve your relationship. That's probably going to help them buy into what you're doing more as opposed to just writing something on the whiteboard and saying, all right, get, get after it. Good luck. I think, the more time I spent actually explaining things like not going into too much detail about the physiology and anatomy, but just in terms of like, Hey, this squat, this split squat is going to benefit your performance because of X, Y, and Z. And they go, Oh, okay. I can, I can kind of see that. And they actually kind of want to be there. That's it, man.
1: It's making those connections and it's all about building those relationships early on and understanding what they truly, what are their hobbies? You know, do they even really like the sport that they're, you know, they're training for? What is their favorite position? And the more you can kind of peel back the layers and make the connection to a very simple split squat and say, okay, the reason we're doing this and make a connection to whatever they love, to whatever they're passionate about. I mean, the rest is so much. It's so easy. It, it, it's a piece of cake. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree.
0: Yeah, and and the the really good experienced coaches I talk to, the more I do this, the more I talk to them, the more I realize like they keep driving that point home. And I think that it seems like, it's a natural part of maturing as a coach. You just realize like the, the relationships thing is just so important. It can't be overstated. Um, yeah. Something else I like that you said was uh, in terms of like actual like feedback, how much coaching you're giving them. Because it's so easy for us and it comes out of genuine good intentions of us wanting to make it look perfect. But I'm sure you've seen the, the papers and studies that say if you're if as coaches we give them feedback every single rep, if we're always trying to make it look perfectly, then there's actually a worse long term learning effect as opposed to just having them slow down, having them figure it out, maybe place some constraints that give what you want to get out of that movement and then just kind of like backing off and, you know, saying, figure it out or helping them figure it out. Like an example would be like show rather than tell.
1: Yeah, exactly. And honestly, the big thing too about, and this is something that I'm, I'm completely honest with the athletes session one, that first, that first encounter, that first experience is that we are trying to create a positive, fun, energetic environment. But at the same time, and I love this, and I've stolen this, and i, I got to give credit when due with, with Keith Davids, but safe uncertainty. And what I mean by that is that we are creating a, a, an environment where athletes feel safe to express themselves, they feel safe where they can explore, and that is such a key thing. And that's why in so many of our posts, you'll constantly see that word "exploring" or exploratory behaviors. Because I think that a lot of coaches miss the boat on that. But where athletes feel safe to express themselves, that they feel they feel comfortable in their own skin, they feel uh, they feel that they can actually try different things. Without negative consequences, because that is the biggest thing that I see in the sporting world. And I'll say because I work with a lot of hockey and basketball athletes, and anytime they mess up, whether it you know, if they do not meet the coach's expectations, um, and whether it's a loss, or whether it's a turnover, or whether it's, you know, whatever me a penalty you know, they're getting bad skate, they're running suicide. So there's always these negative consequences with failing, with making mistakes. And I make it extremely clear that you are going to make mistakes. You are going to fail. And I want you to embrace that. I want, I, I, it's a good thing because that means we are learning. That means that we are pushing you in the right direction. If everything was perfect. And that's the thing where I, I, It drives me crazy to, you know, and and don't get me wrong, Connor, I understand when I'm saying all this, there is a, there is a technical model in a sense, there are biomechanical truths and depending on, you know, the skill level, we have a bandwidth, you know, obviously the younger they are, that bandwidth is going to be a little bit smaller to a more experienced athlete that's going to keep growing and growing and growing. Um, But not everyone's going to look the same and that's a big thing. And I see a huge change, especially when we get athletes from other programs. Where once they truly understand that, and that might take a session, that might take two weeks, that might take a month, but once they they understand that and they do feel that kind of that uh, uh, that they can they can be themselves and they can kind of step outside mm-hmm. the cage, so to speak, it, it's just pretty cool. We put so many restrictions on these kids, but if you really let them be athletes and you let them be themselves. It, it, dude, it's pretty cool to see what some of these guys, because a perfect example is in a lot of my recent videos, some of my best problem solvers, one is trying to become a, BM, a professional BMX rider. Oh, wow. And the other one's an ice hockey player. And everyone says, these must be football guys. And they're not. These guys, they're human beings first. That's that's a big thing, because we train the human before the athlete. Um, but it's just saying, hey, you guys are all athletes, and this is—we're trying to cultivate this type of environment where everything is. Because I, I in, in my opinion, and I think that you agree, uh, human movement is a form of, cre- of creative expression, mm-hmm. and the more we can get people to understand that and to embrace it and to enjoy it, I just think that we can kind of take the next step, um, you know, in this kind of development, the sport preparation, SSC. You know, whatever you want to call it, because there's always some new uh, new word that comes out. Um, but I think that's a that's the thing that I'm trying to push, and that's the message I'm trying to get out.
0: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And it, it's so easy for coaches to want to just put so many restrictions, as you said, so many, like too many constraints, and then expect perfection. But like you said, every rep is an opportunity for learning, but like so is every other rep of everything else, just like you said, every loss. Um And I just remember early on as a coach, I just love hearing myself talk. I just love to, you know, stand in front and just hear myself coach. And it was was great. It was just like kind of stroking my own ego to some extent. But at the end of the day, that's not allowing athletes to express themselves, as you said. And it's the more I backed off and the more I allowed them to express themselves and explore, which are just key words there, Mm -hmm. the more fun I had. Because it's no longer this, you know, kind of like, Having them walk around the weight room with a metaphorical ball and chain attached to them because I'm trying to, you know, put what I think they need, but really just play is so important. And, and the more I see the best coaches talk about it, the more I'm like, well, this is something that's so important. We need to kind of back off a little bit. And I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's gotta be, awesome. and that's, and that's, per, it's, it's, it's not a dictatorship.
1: It's not yeah, like yeah. it was in the sixties or seventies. It's a partnership, man. And that's something that is really, really important. And everyone can kind of address it in their own unique way, but it, once you understand and you, and you really make your, make the athletes part of the process, um, I, I, more you know great things are going to come um, and that's what we've been seeing and we've we've been we've had the pleasure of uh, of uh, I have the best athletes in the world and they really the especially the ones that have been with me throughout this entire process um, you know they're my guinea pigs I'm my own guinea pig first but I also I have a select few athletes where they're like okay coach what do you want to do and we do and it's just really fascinating to see See what these kids are capable of. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I completely agree, man.
0: So obviously you're a big proponent of autonomy within programs. That oh, sounds like a huge yep. part of what you do. So um, in terms of autonomy, within like, obviously within the actual stuff you do, you're exploring. So there's autonomy within that. Yeah. But how else do you build that into your programs? Because obviously that's going to lead to more buy-in, more fun, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So we, we how I operate is in
1: ranges or in options or in training menus. And again, mm. it's just like we talked about with that bandwidth. When an athlete is younger and experienced that bandwidth, is 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 smaller and then as they continue to get more experience it grows and grows and grows it's the same thing with our program is that real simple and this is so powerful and hopefully if 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 one listener can kind of take this um i'll be extremely pleased you know uh with this podcast is that is just give them a simple option it's either a or b and let the kid choose and you know, especially the, the, the younger they are, honestly, you could do whatever the heck you want. And there's, especially in the, from a weight room standpoint, there's going to be some type of positive improvements, but give them the options instead of, like you said, writing on the whiteboard, make sure they have a program, give them A or B, let them choose, let them run with it for two weeks, see how they like it. And if they don't like it, okay, so then next time, okay, here's here's another two options, Choose, you know, you choose from these two and then continue to grow it to basically to the point with my, you know, some of my older athletes. I mean, we build training menus and we basically say, hey, this is what we need to get done today. You choose. And for the next two weeks, week, three weeks, whatever the training block is, you guys are running with it. And that's then it gets to the point where we let them choose their training methods. We let them choose their warm up sets. We let them choose, okay, do you want for accommodating resistance? Do you want to use bands or chains? We, we, we are trying to train them and teach them uh, to be their own coach. And that's something that's really, really cool and very, very powerful um, is, is giving these options and just seeing it. It, it basically it's, I'll step in there, and I'm a. I like to consider myself more of a facilitator and like a learning designer, like I said. So once, especially with the more experienced athlete, I get in there and they're running it themselves, and then I'll I'll talk to them. I'll, I'll offer my you know my guidance, but for the most part, it's I'll have a group of eight to ten you know athletes, and we have eight to ten completely different things going on. And so to someone that has no idea what's going on, they're like, "This is chaotic. This is crazy." But from, from our athlete, my athlete's point of view, and, and from my point of view, this is what, this is what the U of Strength's about. And it's, <laughs> it's really fascinating. It's really unique. But once you give them options, it's the same thing. I, this was a big part of, of becoming a father. And the biggest thing, especially with having a younger daughter, a three-year-old, is that especially if you tell her something that she does not want to do, oh boy, especially when she's mm-hmm. tired and she's cranky. So it, that's something i learned really fast, is creating these options, creating these menus. Um, has been very very powerful um, in what we do at the U.
0: That's I love 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 the idea of the training menu and that's so that's so simple right and I've never thought about that but it makes so much sense and it's obvious hearing it now that you said that but something I've been thinking about a lot lately something I've been really like digging into is the idea of like okay so a lot of us work with high school athletes or low-level college so really like these guys aren't going to go pro these guys and gals they're not going to go pro they're probably not going to get a d1 full ride scholarship right so with the overwhelming majority of the people that we work with what is the biggest impact we can have and that is developing positive associations with exercise with these kids it's helping them you know grow as leaders and human beings i think that at the end of the day the more i think about it the more i think that makes sense so we need to We need to have an environment in our weight room and our culture that's conducive to that. And exactly what you just said about the training menu and about providing options and letting them have fun and explore, that's allowing them to be their own coach. As you said, that's allowing them to understand how they can train correctly and responsibly after they graduate high school, after they graduate college, once they go on and live their lives, because isn't at the end of the day, that the most important thing? 100%.
1: I completely agree, and I think a lot of a lot of coaches, at least in the private sector, I think they uh they lose that they don't they for whatever reason, whether it's they want to make more money or whatever it may be, they're trying to get more kids along the lines of make more money they're trying to get more kids in the building it's lost, man um but yes, I completely agree everything is first principles, and the more we can really teach these kids um and make the connections to sport to life um it's that's why I do what I do. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's the bigger, that's, it's the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, absolutely.
0: I wanted to ask you uh, just to like dig into a little meat and potatoes here in terms of like actually designing an environment. So I think what you hit on earlier is giving them just like two options, right? You know, it's almost the idea of when you have a novice limiting the degrees of freedom, the available options to them. So you get a better result as a novice, but, when you start to progress someone deeper and deeper into a program, what are some, you don't have to go into too much detail, but just like basic ideas of how coaches can start to ignite their thought process of let's now progress this movement from two options for like agility. That's an easy example. Let's do agility. For example, the perceptual cognitive aspect of that, what is a way you can progress something from one option to multiple options and make it still exploratory and fun.
1: Yeah, so with, so with our agility training, so that, that's going to be, <laughs> this probably be the rest of the podcast. <laughs> um, so with the agility training, um, so we call, so when we're working with athletes, so this is a very, this is another important topic is, is, is what you say. So with agility training, um, we call it problem solving activities. Um, it's just for my, in, in my opinion, it's been more impactful. Um, so that when we, when we say, Hey guys, we got our problem solving activities, they know exactly what they're getting themselves into. Um, because it could be as simple as a one V one, you know, where we're using an invasion belt and it's a very tight space where we have one person on offense, one person on defense, really simple. The offensive task is to break the belt. The defensive task is to keep the belt together and we're putting some type of time constraint on it. Um, obviously they're going to be starting in a stationary stance. very simple. At the start of that rep, offense or defense, you guys choose who starts the rep. Okay, I'm going to start the rep, coach. Okay, so the offense starts, next rep, defense, you start it. So the, so the, the athletes are determining who starts the rep. That's a very simple way of giving autonomy within a very, very low-level agility activity. And then it could get as crazy as, okay, we have 10 guys. We're going to start on a 5v5, okay? Okay but every rep you need to change the situation. So maybe one rep, it's a five V five next rep. It's a one V five. Then it's a, a a two V four. Then it's a, whatever it may be, I'm giving them the keys to the car. And that's more of, you know, obviously more of a, if you want to say advanced or more higher level type of problem solving activity. Um, so we just basically, and it gets to a point where I'll say, Hey, Hey guys or gals, this is what we need to get done today. I'll let them design the damn activity. I'll tell you right now, three or four of my better activities. I got it. They weren't from me. They were a collaboration with my athletes. Um, And that's, and that's the, they know the sport they're in the sport. They live it. They breathe it. That's all they think about. Um, And that's the thing is that put your ego aside, talk to the damn kids and it's, it's a partnership, man. And that's why I love what I I love the direction that the US strength is going down. Um, because really it's just, it's, it's, it's limitless with all these different ideas. Um, so yeah, so that, that's kind of a very simple way of saying how we give options in our agility, in our, in our problem solving work, because it's just every rep, the biggest thing I guess I can say is that we follow kind of that repetition without repetition. Mm -hmm. So when you watch the NBA, or we can't watch it now, but when you watch a sporting activity, right, no two reps are exactly the same, so that's how I, when we do our problem-solving activities, when we do our speed work, when we do our plyometric work, help even with some of our weight room work with the appropriate loads, uh, where the focus is on bar speed, we follow this concept of repetition without repetition, so no two reps are the same, and this can be very simple, Connor, of changing the direction you know of uh, of your starting stance changing the speed as you're meeting the opponent um change the, is it a static start or is it a drop in or is it a full on acceleration start um, changing the number of opponents, changing the boundaries—is it a perfect square? Is it more of a rectangle? Is it a big circle? You know, changing, doing these different things, but no two reps are the same. Um, and a lot of people kind of get turned off, and they're like, "No, nah, this is too complicated. I can't run this in a large group." But once you understand it's a partnership, and you teach the athletes, they will do it themselves, and that's the beauty of this. And that's where with my with our program. And this is a big, big component: is that we're trying to fill in the gaps to the athletic development puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many times, whether it's other SNC programs, um, whether it's other sport practices, it's just they are not getting these type of experiences. They are not getting these type of op- opportunities. You know, to become adaptable, to become dexterous to To become high level problem solvers, they're basically becoming robots, and and that's the big issue that I see. Um, and so, once we can kind of understand that they are human beings and that they are, we are designed to do all these crazy different things. You know, it's it's yeah. hopefully it continues to go in the direction because I'm starting to see more and more kind of take this kind of uh, uh, this kind of uh, mindset or approach. Um, it's just, it's, it's been so impactful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, just being a human being is nonlinear and that's that exactly what you're saying is it's nonlinear. So you can't treat them like robots because our very just existence is nonlinear in of itself. So uh, with that being said, so when, what, what my mind goes to is, so it's great to have this variety. It's great to understand like no true reps are the same, but uh, how do you know ultimately that your athletes are progressing and getting better? Because obviously it's going to go up and down. It's going to vary day by day, but hopefully the trend would be upwards and you can use your coaches. I, I'm not sure what you use because clearly whatever you do works. Do you use any sort of assessments, any sort of like um, objective measurement to see that your athletes, yes, like their decision-making skills are getting better? Yes, they're, they're um, anticipating things better. Or is it mo- mostly just your experience as a coach and you kind of know what works. So we do, those.
1: we'll have KPIs. Obviously we, I don't have, and if any of your listeners have, an, have a way to measure that perceptual motor landscape, let me know, because I'll be the first to, 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 to buy it and to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but from that, from that side of things, there isn't. All I can say is that if I could show your listeners, the series of text messages, this, the, the, the amount of videos that my athletes are sending to me, um, and just saying, Hey coach, remember when we did that two V two, I, that, that helped me for this, you know, for this situation. It's just, I, I, it's, it's all anecdotal. It's all subjective in nature, but Connor, I don't care. That's mm-hmm. the thing is that I am not a scientist. All right. I am a, a coach and I'm a teacher and if it's working for my athletes that's all i care about if they san- if they sign at their school of their choice a major division 1 or they make the varsity team or they're the captain of their varsity team or they get a professional contract that's all i care about all right we are supplemental to this you know athletic process to this you know the developmental process that's all i care about if they jump higher great if they run faster great is that important It is, but is that the end all be all? I'm sorry. It's not. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, that's the best answer I can give with measuring kind of some of this, uh, problem solving some of this, you know, plyometric type stuff where they're perceiving an opponent. It's, it's, it's very hard to give objective data to that. Um, but when I get the, because uh, I, I had that about a year ago, I was like, okay, how can I prove this? And I was, I was constantly saying, how can I prove this? How can I show other coaches that, you know, this stuff works? And I just kept getting positive responses from my athletes. And it basically came to the point where, why mm-hmm. am I caring? What It's working for my guys and girls. That's all I care about, man. And people can hate on it because trust me, I get hate. I, I get a lot of haters with some of this stuff. I'm sorry. I just, I don't care. It works. It works for, you know, for the the people that I am trying to help and impact. And honestly, that's all I care.
0: You know what? That's totally fair. And you don't need to because what you do works. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's huge. Like we were mentioning private facilities the other day that just jammed the robotic approach in, and they might be losing clients. Well, this approach might be a lot better because you're going to treat them like human beings. And I think that that buy-in aspect of what you do is one of the most important aspects of this entire approach in the first place, because those private facilities, if they changed it to be, have more autonomy. Like kids are going to notice that it's different than what they've seen before. I think that's going to be so important. So that's, that's very well said, man. I completely agree. So, um, If you wouldn't mind, I have a question, and I'm not sure if this is the best example, but I just wanna kind of throw it out there just to give the audience an idea of, kind of like in terms of constraints, because you have individual, environmental, and task constraints. Let's Mm -hmm. take a single leg forward hurdle hop. Mm -hmm. And what would be an example of changing a constraint within that exercise to make it more of less of a, okay, I'm just going to jump over this hurdle, jump over the next one. But there's no, there's no anticipatory activity going on there. There's no real, like, there's no real like, neurological like, um, uh, processing going on there, for lack of a better term. So if you were to take that exercise and then make it a little bit more geared towards your approach, what would you yeah. do? if anything, with that. Yeah. yeah. So, so very
1: simple. We might, uh, we might um, modify the upper body. We might put a dowel on their back. We might put their dowel over their head. We might cross Mm. their arms. We might have them rotate their upper body while keeping that lower body in the sagittal plane. So we get some of that upper lower separation, which in my opinion is one of the most important skill sets to have for an athlete is to get that upper lower separation. Um, So we can alter the body itself. Uh, we could change the spacing so it's not as predictable where we might have one hurdle super close where it has more of a vertical displacement emphasis, or we might have it super far away where you have more of a horizontal displacement. We might change the landing surface. It might be something where it's, it, it's a softer surface. It might be uneven textured. It might be angled. Whatever it may be, you can change the surface. Um, we might add a little box in between to work on pre-tensioning to allow the athlete to, to feel that ability to attack and pop um, so that they, they get that sensation um, of, of, effective, of uh, effective landing prep mechanics. Um, so it, we could change the heights of the hurdles. That's another big thing we do where it might be really small and then really high because guess what? That's going to alter that kind of knee angle and that foot angle and that hip angle. Um, so that's, that's – and we play around with a lot of those different things. We might put them around a circle make it more of a curved, um, kind of a curved element to it. Because in my opinion, hockey and basketball, that curved sprinting is an essential skill. And the more we can kind of get them into those angles, especially with the foot, with pronation, supination, uh, and we do that barefoot, it's mm-hmm. amazing to see, you know, the, the, the stuff that, you know, you, that can come from um, adding a curved element
0: to it. That's awesome. Yeah. And so there's obviously a ton of ways you can alter just about any exercise to fit kind of like the criteria of what you just said. Would you say that there is a point to where it's just too much? Like you're, how many, and I know this is very context dependent, but just as a general idea, how much would you say is potentially too much or is there not too much? Can you change things from session to session? Or do you want there to be a degree of consistency and you change one or two constraints? Or potentially, at what point do you change the exercise and you go, okay, we're going to move away from this and now we're going to go um, to a completely different progression? So,
1: just to, so you understand. So all of our higher velocity actions, so that stuff like speed, problem solving, plyometrics, med ball throws, we change them every single week. Nice. Every single week. Um, and then within that, depending on the athlete, so every athlete is obviously their own unique uh, human being. They all have their different intrinsic dynamics. Uh, so within that, then it's like, okay, so we're going to be changing the, the, the activity, but then how can we use strengths constraints to make it appropriate for them? So we might have to set up you know, for example, go back to those hurdles. We might set up four different stations of hurdles. One's going around a circle. One has different heights. One has a couple dowels and maybe a med ball that they can use. One where we're giving them full free reign. Some of my older guys, I say, Hey guys, we're doing hurdle jumps today. Be creative with it. Let me see what you come up with. And it's pretty cool to see with some of the stuff, you know, it's, and that's the thing is so many coaches are like, Oh, kids are going to get hurt. I have not had one soft tissue injury. I've been doing this for three years and I work, I coach seven days a week, you know, groups as big as 15 to 20 kids. We have had not one soft tissue injury because everything is still a strategic plan. It's not like we're doing, you know, depth jumps from a 60 inch surface on day one. We do have a, we do have an overall plan, but within that plan, you know, it, or I like to say framework, there's modifications. There's different things that we can adjust and 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 manipulate
0: um so hopefully i don't know if that oh, answers that's great 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 so in terms of actual you know do you hour long sessions
1: no 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 so that, that so right now uh, cuz i do run a business a lot of our programs are 2 hours um uh, but it depends on so we have five different levels the younger the, the youngest level um is only an hour but everyone else is a minimum of 90 minutes but even in the off season We'll have athletes for two and a half hours um, and, it, and it's not two and a half hours of just go, go, go. Mm-hmm. It's explain, it's, 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 it's setting up, allowing the athletes to set up. It's picking up. It's allowing full time. Cause if we're doing, if we are having, let's say for example, we're doing flying tens with a 30 yard sprint up and we're doing three reps of that shit that could take 25 minutes alone. Then I want them getting a five to 10 minute rest and then we're going to get into our problem-solving activity. That's an hour, hour and 15 right there by the time we get back in the weight room. So the big thing with me is I don't rush anything. Um, if I had it in a perfect world, and hopefully at some point I will have my, you know, 25, 30,000 square foot facility, I would not put times on anything. Um, and it's whatever we have planned, this is what we're getting done. And the cool thing is a lot of the parents and the athletes that we, we are – are privileged to work with, they understand that, that some sessions are, are, are a little bit quick, are a little bit shorter. Some are going to be a little bit longer and we have no issues with it. Mm. Um, but definitely the younger athletes, it's only an hour. Um, then the next level, hour and a half. But then everything else, two hours. But then obviously you got to take into account, okay, are they in season? Is this more of a low? We break – just to give you context, we break everything. Kind of uh, We consolidate stressors. We have our low stressors on one day, our high stressors on another day. Um, so if it's a low day, obviously I don't want the kids in that long. But if it's a high day and we want to get after it, then okay, we're going to spend some time. Um, and I have no problem going to two and a half hours with some of these kids especially in the off season in season we're trying to you know obviously it might be 90 minutes um but we don't operate like your typical okay it's 45 90 or 60 minute sessions then you're out I just for what we just talked about I couldn't do what I do if I did it that way
0: yeah yeah I totally understand um do you ever get a parent that because like parents obviously like they want the best for their kids and they have an expectation of what a fitness or training experience is and what you do is so different than, you know, what, what the guy next door down the street might do. Do you ever have a parent that's just like, what's going on here? And how do you approach that if their expectations aren't being met by what you do, but ultimately what you do is clearly successful. How do you handle that situation?
1: So I'm very careful with, with, if you want to say sales pitch or elevator pitch, it's all about words, man. Mm -hmm. Um, So first and foremost, if they say fitness, I stop them right there because this is not fitness, your son or daughter is not going to get a watered down adult training program. This is not a CrossFit class. This is not a boot camp class. This is a scale, uh, this is a, uh, a, sale, uh, a skills. Um, this is a skills centered program. And so just like they do on the court, the field, the ice, we're doing the same thing without the hockey stick, without the basketball, without the, you know, the soccer ball. All right. And then we're blending in some elements of resistance training and speed training. And we're making kind of this kind of this uh, complete package um, to try to help your son or daughter. So the big thing is making sure that they say fitness, we stop it right there. Mm -hmm. And the best thing is that um, a lot of times I, I, I live at the gym for the most part. So we'll have parents kind of come in and out and I have an open door policy Um, So a lot of times I like to have, whether it's parents or athletes, talk to other parents and athletes. That's another big thing, because those are our best. That's my stat. That's my marketing strategy as of now, because I don't have, you know, an endless budget. Um, So referrals, word of mouth is very powerful to me. It is very, very, very powerful um, um, to, to keeping the doors open at the US strength. But again, it goes back to like we talked about, it's about building the relationships, It's getting to know these kids. And when parents truly see, and they really see that and they really understand that and they see, okay, yeah, the, my, you know, my daughter was sick and I saw Jamie sent them a text message or I saw, you know, Ryan or someone from you checked in on them, or we got this note card in the mail because they hit a PR on their deadlift. Those things go a long way, dude. Um, and it's just really, At that, I make it very transparent. If this is what you're looking for, go down the road. But if this is what you're looking for, and you want your son and daughter to kind of get to that next level, and they really want to do it, get them in here because they're going to have a blast.
0: So, yep, that is so well said, and I think you actually hit a really, really good point briefly there about. Like the relationship building doesn't stop in the gym. Like when they're sick, sending them a text, sending them like that postcard, that like a handwritten note about just hey, congratulations on your deadlift, man. Like I've never thought of that before, but if I did that, I'm sure that would be tremendously helpful. Because who does that? No one. Yeah, and no one does, man. That's awesome. And
1: it goes, a long, it and honestly, man, it goes, it goes a long, it goes a long way. And I didn't realize. Uh, I I want to say I have to give credit to my wife actually. She came up with that idea, um, and at first I was like, I'm not sure if this is – and I did, and it was just amazing, and it is. It's so powerful. It's These these athletes look up to us. They really – whatever you say – and that's another thing. Words are powerful. Mm-hmm. Whatever you say, it, it, it means everything to, to some of these kids, and so it's just – a little postcard here, a little text message here, you know, sending an email or posting them, you know, uh, uh, tagging them in on a post on Instagram. It goes a long way, man. A very long way.
0: Yeah, that's a huge tip for people to take away right there. Really, really big point. So, uh, I just have two final questions as we wrap up here. So, um, this stuff is awesome. Really, really good um, conversation here. So, if someone is interested in learning more about uh, skill acquisition, motor learning, what are some just a couple of directions you'd point them just to like get a very baseline understanding of? So, go to Google.
1: Go to Google. Type in Keith David's.
0: That's Mm. all
1: you need to do. Everything Keith David's. Any books. Any podcast, any stuff on YouTube. He is the man. That's someone that I really hope that I can cross paths with. He's had such an. It, it, it. Uh, as of late, he has been so impactful in everything that I do and been so influential and in kind of just getting my head to think differently about strength and conditioning or sport preparation or you know skill acquisition, whatever you want to call it um Keith Davids is the man he's just it's fantastic, and the stuff he talks about it just it makes so much sense, and it's some of those things where it's like, why did I not think of this? Why have I not been doing this from the start um so keith davids is is is, is is a fantastic resource.
0: Okay. That's really good to know. And finally, what are you up to at the U.S. strength recently? Do you have anything planned? Do you have any, and also what is your handle on Twitter and Instagram so people can. Yeah, find So
1: it? at the U.S. strength, really simple. Um, and then our website, the uh and currently we're just trying to figure out just like everyone else you know you know if we can keep the doors open or not cuz obviously the health and well-being of our athletes and our in our our parents and our clients and everyone is is the number one important thing um so right now it's just hopefully we can get reopened very very soon um, and we're just honestly, Connor, I'm using the U US of strength as a vehicle to just try to help people. So mm-hmm. if anyone needs anything, uh, the U of strength at gmail.com is my email. Go to the website. You can get my contact information there, the U of strength.com And whatever I can do. Um, I try to be, I try to get back within 24 hours and I try to be as helpful as transparent as possible.
0: Thanks, man. Really appreciate you coming on. That was awesome. Really good conversation.
1: Thank you, man. And, and stay healthy, stay safe. All right.
0: Amen.